Once again, good morning. Now today is the second Sunday of the month, which means we don't have any kids point and kids are welcome in here. So parents, in case you need to hear this today, it is okay if your kids come as they are, which means if they cry or are loud, that's okay. We love them too. And if you're somebody who doesn't have kids or you have kids that aren't with you and hearing other kids cry makes you really bothered and it's hard to listen, let me just encourage you with this. If you hear another kid crying, take a moment to pray two things. First, thank God for their parents who brought them here. And second, help those parents who are doing everything they can to raise that child in the faith, all right? And maybe if you need a third prayer, help me when I'm distracted by those kids. And that was for me, not for you guys, when I'm distracted. Today we are kicking off a new series that comes out of both a joke and also a fear of my own. See, I don't know about you, but I was at one point in my life a perfect dad, and my kids ruined it. See, before I had kids, I knew everything about how to parent. I saw kids that were misbehaving, it's like, I wouldn't do that. I would definitely discipline differently, and my kids would not behave like that. And just this last week, my wife had to drag Ezra kicking and screaming out of the store because that's what kids sometimes do. And I remember a text she sent me a few years ago when Elijah was about Ezra's age, where she said, I never thought I'd have to say this, but I I can't get Elijah to stop licking the asphalt. I thought I had all the answers to parenting. I knew exactly how to do it well. And then I had kids and realized I knew nothing. And then I had a second kid and realized I knew even less than that. And by the third, I've just given up. I have no idea. I'm making it up day by day and struggling through this. But, in a real serious note, part of where this sermon series comes from is the reality that I am not a perfect dad and if you're a dad or a mom or an aunt or an uncle or your neighbors have kids you're probably not perfect at it either and if you have parents a mom or a dad whether you're on good terms or bad terms whether they're living or they're dead they probably weren't perfect either parenting is incredibly difficult and there's a verse in scripture that really I struggled quite a bit with before I ever even became a dad. It's in Exodus, and so we're going to begin with this verse in Exodus, and I'm going to share with you why it was so difficult and why we're going to be talking about parenting in some measure for the next few weeks. In Exodus chapter 20, if you'd like to follow along, this is on page 76 of the blue Bibles in front of you or on the walls uh, upstairs in the balcony. In this context that this verse falls, God has just rescued his people from slavery. He has miraculously delivered them from the hands of an evil king who ruled over them harshly. And they're wandering in the wilderness, trusting in God to provide, and God gives them a list of commands. Do these things and it will be good in your life. This is good for you and your community. And the one we're going to focus on today is beginning in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, before I became a dad, I found myself reading passages like this really, really terrified. God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. If that's true, as it reads, if it's a straight one-to-one comparison, it means my great-grandchildren may be paying for my sins today. If you don't have any kids, it probably doesn't hurt quite as much as if you do. See, if you have kids, you might know that I am very sinful and you yourself probably are as well. And my great-grandchildren, if this is a one-to-one comparison, might be paying for my mistakes today. I wrestled quite a bit with that. What does that mean? How do I live like that? How can I be faithful if that's the case? I want God's blessings, but I'm sure that I don't keep His commandments perfectly. Now what? I was sharing this concern with a pastor friend of mine when we found out we were pregnant with our first. And this pastor friend of mine, he said something that for me was really comforting. He said, Adam, every family is dysfunctional. A really good dad is just aware of how your kids are going to need therapy. See, what he meant by that was, it's okay if you screw up. Just do so on purpose. Pay attention to what you're doing and the family you're shaping and the ways you're really working at helping your kids grow with God. And when you stumble and fall, it'll be okay. Keep going. And you might be wondering, well, I don't have any kids. What does any of this today have to do with me? Well, we're not just talking to parents in this couple of week series. But the idea of bad dads came from a little bit of a joke that Emily and I were talking and we recognized that on Mother's Day... Typically, maybe you've noticed, churches love to celebrate moms in a way that makes them cry for how great they are. Have you ever like, seen a video that does that? And often in commercials for the, the uh, like corporate world around us, and even in the church, the videos we show on Father's Day just kind of poke fun at how bad dads are, how lazy they are, and how they're not doing the right things. And so we were kind of talking about how frustrating this was. We said, wouldn't it be funny if we started a sermon series called Bad Dads on Father's Day? So just like I forgot to light candles, I thought today was Father's Day up until a few days ago. Oops. It's not, so you have a week to remember your dad, okay? But this verse here, if it's a one-to-one, it's not just about my mistakes, but you and I can be living in the consequences of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. You might be dealing with things you didn't even know were there, because of the way they lived. So what I want us to do today and in the coming weeks is unpack what that means and what do we do about it. And let me give a couple of disclaimers up front. To say that there may be uh, God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation does not mean your parents are the ones to blame and therefore you're off the hook. It does not give you a scapegoat to say it's all their fault and not mine. It also does not mean that there's nothing you can do about it and you're doomed to the life you're living. To say that God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the chil- to the children of the third and fourth generation does not mean that it's your responsibility to fix or repair or make amends for the things your parents or grandparents 
or great-grandparents did. It does mean that the things they did and the way they lived has shaped who you have become. And you and I submit ourselves to Jesus to be reshaped and reformed in a whole new image. So we have a burden ahead of us to be aware of the past, to be mindful of the things that our parents have walked through that maybe are still affecting us, and then also to be mindful of the future. Who are we becoming? Now, sometimes even this can be too broad, so let's back it up even to real practical senses. Did anybody grow up in a house where your parents were not very loving? Like maybe they were good parents, but they never once said, I love you. They just assumed you knew. Or maybe the way they showed their love was through really strong authority, right? You just wait until dad comes home. And then as they spanked you, they said, we do this because we love you. And you're like, if this is love, I want nothing to do with it. Or maybe you grew up in a household where alcohol was consumed in excess and you know all the fears of what happens when they have just one more drink and what's tomorrow going to hold. Or maybe a household where there was all kinds of abuse, physical and emotional, sexual, all kinds of hardships, things that were done against you. Or maybe you grew up in a household that wasn't experiencing any of that. But faith was just kind of a thing used as a weapon and not as a relationship. And you found yourself older in life struggling with your questions and your doubts and what is this faith and where is God when evil happens and what do I do in the midst of this? And I will never be like my parents. And then as you start to get older, you become a little bit more like your parents and you start to say the things that you heard them say and you catch yourself going, oh no. I remember that first moment where I realized I was just like my dad. I got super excited to start my compost pile and I was really excited to turn it and get it hot and get the worms in there and have it smell just like a perfect compost. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh no, it's happening too soon. You know the reality that your childhood growing up, good or bad, shaped you today. And if you have kids in your life, either tangentially because of the people you care about or directly as your own, you know that your actions today can shape them tomorrow. What do we do with this? We're going to look to the first bad dad that I think is worth us noting. The first bad dad, we're going to back up to Genesis chapter 3. If you know the story of Genesis, God creates everything and it is good. And then the story zooms in a little bit and God creates man and places him in a garden to work the garden and care for the land. And God gives him a woman named Eve to be a helper who comes alongside of him and does this work of God together with him. But God speaks to Adam a command, don't eat from this one tree. You can do anything else, just don't eat from this tree. And it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you're not really acquainted with Hebrew or this story, perhaps you might know that up until this point, everything they knew was good. So to eat of that tree, the only thing to gain would be the knowledge of evil. And that's not a cognitive awareness of this is good or this is bad. It's an emotional reality, the experience of all that is evil. So far, everything they had experienced was good. And God says, I don't want you to experience evil. Don't eat of this tree. 
And then we get to chapter 3, and everything falls apart. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, when you read Scripture... Sometimes in English there are things we just kind of miss because translation's tough. And one of the things I find really fascinating here is if you're the reader of the story, you're automatically your red flag should go up. You see, God speaks to the man and says, don't eat of that tree or you will die. And the serpent comes to the woman, and at least so far the man is silent. Where is Adam in all of this? And he says, did God really say, are you sure that was God's plan? And she says, God said, don't eat it and also don't touch it. See, right off the bat reading this, our, our red flag should go up and say, something's wrong. That's not what God said. Where is Adam to correct her? Where is he to say, actually, let me help you resist the enemy? Here's what God actually said. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve is deceived into believing this tree, God said, don't eat of it, will make her more like God. And the the crux of it all, the really tricky thing is they were already made in God's image just like God. The only difference is they had no experience of sorrow or suffering or pain or misery. Adam is commanded, don't eat of that tree. And Eve is tempted and Eve twists God's command probably unintentionally taking it to a whole new level. Let's not only not eat it, let's also not touch it. Let's really be safe and cautious. And Adam says nothing. In fact, he is with her, and when she's deceived, he joins her in eating. And then comes this. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, when God made everything good, the two of them were naked and unashamed, it says. Prior to the sin entering in, there was nothing to divide them, no vulnerabilities to hide between them, no shame to cover up. But now, in twisting God's word and living differently, their eyes are open to no sorrow and evil and pain and suffering. And this created for you and me quite a problem. What happens in chapter 4 is we see their children are born. Maybe you've heard of them, Cain and Abel. And their very children who were to be made in God's image instead are filled with jealousy and one kills the other. And things fall apart from there. This first bad dad screwed it all up for the rest of us. 
Now, we live in the South where people really like to emphasize a highly American ideal, that of free will and choice. It's all my choice. And there was a man about 1,800 years, maybe 1,700 years ago, who also read Scripture and wanted to emphasize our ability to choose, our choice in the matter. A man named Pelagius, perhaps you've never heard of him, he looked at Scripture and said that sin damns us and God wouldn't damn any of us for things we haven't done. And so all of us are born without sin, according to Pelagius. We have never done anything wrong, and then we are tempted into sin, so God only holds us accountable for the sins we've committed. And he says the reason why every one of us ends up sinning is because we are pressured from the world around us to sin because that's all we know. So hypothetically, if we could know a world without sin, we would choose to do the right thing, and then we ourselves would be sinless. Last week, I mentioned a pastor named Augustine who came against this very thing. He said, Pelagius, you're just absolutely wrong. When you read Scripture, you see that it's not that you and I have the choice to not sin. We are bound to sin. In fact, where we're going to go next is Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing, and he says exactly this, that you and I are bound to sin. Our first dad continues to be the reason why you and I are not okay, and broken, and in need of God. It says this, beginning in verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Goes on a few verses later to say this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. You see, the issue at hand that Paul is writing about is what happens if none of us know that we're sinning? Right? Like, if we don't know that we're breaking the law, is it wrong? Like, how can we do something wrong if we've never been told, hey, stop doing that? And Paul, he says, look, everybody, even before Moses, died at some point. And if death is the result of sin, it's because everybody after Adam was filled with sin. You and I are born sinful. We sometimes look at babies and think they're really innocent. Clearly, you've never had a baby. They will absolutely do things just to get their own way because they can. We are inherently sinful. We don't have a choice to do the right thing. In fact, Paul goes on a little bit later in chapter 6. He says that we are slaves to sin, bound and obligated. But it's only in Christ that we are free. He continues here in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. You and I, because of our first bad dad, continue to receive this curse of sin. But because of one good man, one who was righteous and who kept the commandments of God, because of one who did all we were supposed to do that we could not do, God looks upon us not as slaves to our sin, but now bound to his righteousness. Made new in Him. We are no longer the old and sinful me. We're the new creation made in Him. In Exodus, we're going to go back there one more time before we finish. Here in Exodus, there's this promise I read and I skipped over in talking about that's worth coming back to. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. Because of one man, Jesus, you and I are not bound by our parents' sins. You're not doomed to become who your parents were, good, bad, and ugly. You are not free to choose as you please. You are instead slaves to Him in submission to God, somebody brand new. So as we go through this bad dads, the idea is not to blame our parents and point out how much they failed. In fact, I don't want you to go home and have a conversation with your parents about how much they failed you. That's probably not healthy. Maybe it is. We could talk about that. But the goal is to see that our previous sin does affect us. Our parents' sin affects us. But in Christ, you and I are invited into a whole new life. We do not have to repeat the mistakes that have come before us. We can make our own new ones. We'll make plenty of mistakes on our own. We don't have to just say, this is who I am. We can say, God, I need you to help me to become somebody different. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how do we recognize those sins that continue to plague us and how do we become somebody different through them. But where we're going to end today is Genesis. Adam, our first bad dad, dooms every one of us to be born sinful. Jesus, the one righteous man, redeems all of us. But there's some really cool hope that's easily passed over in this Genesis story. Genesis chapter 3, after this they speak with God and God curses them not as a punishment but as a natural consequence. The result of your actions is this pain and sorrow and death. And afterwards comes this verse that's easily skipped over. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife 
garments of skins and clothed them. You see, in their sin, they were covered with shame and they wanted to hide themselves. And I don't know if you know much about fig leaves, but they're not going to hide your shame for long. You're going to continually need something new to cover your shame and your nakedness and the things that are vulnerable and you don't want exposed for everybody. But God provides for them garments of skin, which required death. Blood was spilled from the beginning that God could cover their sin and their shame and their vulnerabilities. From the beginning, blood was spilled by God that they would be redeemed and made new and able to live in this world, though broken for now, with the hope and the promise of the resurrection to come. As we go through this verse in Exodus and we look at it in the weeks to come, know this, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter what's to come, God has always been and will always be faithful to thousands to those who love Him. And when your love is not enough, His is. Because even before that promise was made, He covered their sin and their shame through blood that was shed, that they could be made whole in Him again. So can you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You. You are good. You are faithful. Your love endures forever. You have promised your goodness to the thousands of generations for those who love you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the one righteous man who has done all of your commands that we are freed from our guilt and our shame and all the things we've tried to hide from you. We ask that you would give us reflection on who we've been and where we've been, that we may see where we're going and become in you somebody altogether new, a new creation made, forgiven and freed by your blood, your life that was shed. We thank you for all that you are doing. May you be exalted and glorified in us and through us. These things we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the next couple of weeks as we dive into some of these things about generational sin and that which comes before, I just want to give you a heads up. Some of this is really heavy. Looking at and facing and owning the past you've walked through and the ways you've been negatively shaped can be really, really difficult. But I promise you, you're not walking through this alone. And there's a whole lot of hope for a different life to come today and tomorrow and in the years ahead. So please join us on this journey and discover what God has in store for you. Now, every week as we worship together, as we gather together, we include in our gathering an opportunity to trust in God with our finances. We call this an offering, and we take this offering every week to say, God, I believe everything comes from you and ultimately is going back to you, and so I want everything you've given me to be used to help me walk with you better. And so if you came prepared to give today and you would like to give with cash or check, you can do so by placing it in one of these envelopes in your pews or the wall along, um, or 
the spots along the wall upstairs, and then you can place that envelope in the black boxes as you exit today. If you filled out a Connect card with a way we can be praying with you and something we can be praying for you, you can place that in there as well. If you prefer to do things electronically and would like to give online, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Every week, you are welcome to text some questions, and I do my best to respond. Now, before Blake asks these questions, uh, I have one for you. Oh, no. Did you notice that little coffee mug Emily had in that video? No. It said, I love cats. I wonder if that was like a subtle dig of the fact that I made a joke about cats and everybody got really mad. Care to comment, Emily? That's my question that will need to be resolved later. No. All right, okay. what questions came in for me uh, to, to respond just to? One. Just one. Uh, why did you say your parents are probably not perfect? Not. They are not perfect. Because your parents might have been really, really awesome and you have a hard time knowing what they did wrong. You're right. They are not perfect. They certainly screwed up. Um, but maybe you had fantastic parents and still have excellent parents. And you're like, this is weird. I don't think of anything they've done wrong that's hurt me. That's awesome. In fact, that's part of what we're going to talk about is how can you be the kind of person that actually becomes a blessing to the thousands of generations. Be the kind of person who becomes a blessing that people look at you and go, they're not perfect, but they're really, really close. And that would be great. Sure. Um, let's see. There's one more here. It says, thank you so much for the women's retreat yesterday. It was so life-giving and amazing. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't there, and I wasn't allowed to be there. In fact, I was purposefully told, you're, you're a guy, you can't be here. And then Blake was invited to help lead worship. And I was like, I finished playing and I got up and walked out that door over there. And it was awkward. And then I asked my wife, I was like, how was it? She's like, it was so good. I was like, what'd you guys talk about? She goes, stuff for women. And I said, well, like, what kind of stuff? She goes, really good stuff. Do you want to tell me about it? No. But I'm pastoring some of these women who are there. Like, shouldn't I know it? Well, then go ask them. So I heard it was awesome. For those of you who joined, I'm glad you could join. And for those of you who didn't join, I am guessing it will probably happen again in the future based on the response to the last two. So, yeah. And sometimes people ask, how come we don't have a guys retreat or anything like that? And this really, really simple answer is because none of you have offered to lead it. So if you want to make a guys retreat happen... We won't tell the girls about it, okay? Nose goes. <laughs> uh, that's it for today. Awesome. Well, as always, you can text in your questions throughout the week, and I'll do my best to respond either next week uh, in person or online through the middle of the week. As you go this week, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.